Oh, good morning again, Resurrection. It is a joy to now have been your senior pastor for three years, and I want to... Th- <laughs> and I, I thank the board and staff for the excellent gift to the AIDS Walk. I appreciate that. as one of my significant hopes and longings for a day when we get to zero where AIDS is no longer a reality in people's lives. Uh, I do have a, a, a second confession from last week. I talked about driving too fast. Some of you have been praying a lot for me this week. One of you have been praying so much, they've also been sending pictures of auto accidents <laughs> to me. And so I've, I've taken a, a vow to uh, drive as if I have a child in the car, which... Um, Walter and I continue to look forward to that adoption process. It's also a joy as senior pastor to be in this church that's so full of life that you have all of these people willing to get up in front of you and say who they are. That's exciting to to be this. And many of you out there have done the same. So I want to combine a little bit of last week and this week as we close our border crossing series. Last week we were in Joshua, if you remember. And in Joshua, they were entering the new land, but they needed to remember who they were. They needed to remember their identity, and they needed to name their identity before God. And so it was remembering the Passover, and it was being able to name themselves as God saw them, as God's beloved. Any other name they had been called before didn't matter. Any other name they had taken into their own being and spoke to themselves, didn't matter. All of those were rolled away, the scripture said, and they were God's people, you know, with a new name, God's beloved. Can we roll away the parts of ourselves that we've internalized that don't help us anymore? Can we hear God saying, you are a new creation, We are a new creation together. So Joshua, last week, they were letting go of all of the things they'd been called and who they thought themselves to be to be a new people. And it was important that no other label worked other than the label God gave them. It was important that they knew this as they went into their new home. This week in Isaiah, it almost feels like whiplash. Last week is about remembering and knowing, and this week it says, forget it all. You know, forget it all. God is doing a new thing. Forget it all. God is doing a new thing. Feels like whiplash. Remember, don't remember. Remember, don't remember. Rabbi Beth Skybinski helps me with this. She says, whenever you're moving into a new place or from one place to another, you always have to remember. She says, but be careful and choose what's worth remembering. Leave behind that which you need to leave behind and choose what's worth remembering. And today, this morning, we remember some parts of this series we've been doing with Crossing Borders our Lenten meditation videos. Have any of you watched those Lenten meditation videos? They're very good. You can go back and see all 40 of them this whole week if you think you want to catch up. But they're all based on Matthew 25. And Matthew 25 is one of those things that's worth remembering. And so please listen to those videos. Matthew 25 goes like this. 
Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then it goes on to say, we might ask, when did this happen? Jesus says, when you did it for the least of these. When you did it for the least of these, you have done it for me. So as we go through this Lent and we talk about crossing borders, we talk about what's worth remembering. One of the things I believe that's worth remembering is that Jesus says to us so clearly that way, when you have done it for the least, you have done it for me. So hear these stories of the borders we are challenged with and breathe into them your prayers this day of how we may release them and that the Spirit may just blow them away. Why do Cubans migrate? Many do it because of hunger and all sorts of shortages for the lack of freedom, all kinds of freedom. Many do it because of violations to basic human rights. Everything there is a total mess. Laws are not enforced, respect and civility barely subsist. People do not live there, but just survive. Cuba is a country where there are all sorts of shortages and people live with less than a, lo- a dollar a day. And, most, and the most painful for us, it is a country where gay Christians have no place in a church. We flew from Havana to Nicaragua with a tourist visa. Upon arriving in Nicaragua, we crossed four borders, Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, and the United States. If we had to cross eight borders instead of four to reach this gift of God in our lives, we tell you for sure that we would have done it joyfully. We crossed through many dangerous places, but God's grace was with us, and we arrived here safe and sound. Paraphrasing Dr. King, this call for a worldwide fellowship, a crossing of borders, a creating of the beloved community, this worldwide fellowship that lifts neighborly concern beyond one's tribe, race, class, and nation, is in reality a call for an all-embracing and unconditional love for all humanity. This often misunderstood and misinterpreted concept has now become an absolute necessity for humankind's survival. Let us hope that the spirit of love becomes the order of the day. Because we can no longer afford to worship the God of hate or bow down at an altar of indifference. History is cluttered with the wreckage of nations and peoples who pursue the self-defeating path of hate. We are now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. In this unfolding conundrum of life and history, there is a thing such as too late. 
So what I urge you to remember is simply this. We are all wandering Armenians. We are all immigrants in this land. So do we find a way to welcome those who want the very things that our ancestors wanted? Or do we build a wall? Refuse refugees? Live in fear and hate every day? We still have time to make a choice. Do we love or do we hate? Do we do a new thing or do we keep our old ways? I ask you, where do we go from here? Jesus said, when I was hungry and you gave me food to eat, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. We ask, when, Jesus, when you've done it for the one of the least, you have done it for me. We were talking about the Mother Emanuel AME shooting in a way that, well, four black women who were children of the civil rights movement might be expected to talk about such a thing. A white woman in her late 60s stopped by our table and asked if she could speak with us. She began to cry. She was feeling guilty, and we were conveniently black. But I looked into her eyes, and I could see a woman who was in crisis, and by her own statement, had no one in the world to talk to, to whom she could help, who could help her to understand race. The recent incidents of violence had brought her to the realization that she lived in an insulated world of privilege and that she wanted to create something different and better for her grandchildren. She wanted an end to the violence against African Americans and wanted Americans to stop being afraid to have honest conversations about race. She said, that she wanted to ignite change in her life and inspire those she loved to do the same. We talked on in a way that children of the civil rights movement dream of talking. I was renewed by the hope that there can be new understanding on the other side of divisive violence. We need to have the courage to cross our borders with receptive arms and open hearts. I reflected as I read this on borders, on how nice borders can be, on how polished and beautiful they can appear, how sometimes our borders we don't even recognize but how they can separate us just the same. Artificial security can be found in the artificial human-created borders. Words like insulated, comfortable, privileged can separate us and point out others. It can isolate us in places and in ways we don't even know. So what did these four young women 
do when they invited or accepted the invitation into conversation. They made themselves vulnerable. They opened themselves up in ways that they perhaps didn't even know would create a new thing, would bring a new perspective into the lives of not only the woman who asked the question, but each one of them. They did it not in isolation, but in community. Jesus said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. We asked, when Jesus? When you have done it? In the eighth grade, at a summer program at a college in Dallas, I first began to see what was on the other side of the fence. It convinced me that I wanted over this fence. You see, I was very aware that fences existed, and I was conscious of my place on one side of the fence because of my race, because of my class, because of my gender. So at 13 years old, I began planning to go away for college and to have the freedom to be who I am. College took me across multiple borders. I left Texas to go to Massachusetts. I left the South to go to the North. I left church to go somewhere without judgment. I have found that by crossing the border into deeper reflection, I am able to become a more compassionate person. I am not the same girl who stood on one side of the fence when I was a child. Life's opportunities, reflection, and my inner journey have helped me to love, embrace, and be empowered by my blackness, my womanhood, and my queer identity. My educational opportunities allowed me financial comfort that I did not have as a kid. Seeing the good works that we do here at Resurrection, I am reminded that the blessings that I do have can and should be used to create a more just and more loving world. It is the idea that following this path of Christ or whomever you call the divine calls us to radically love the world and the people within it. I am excited now to be part of a spirit-filled and justice-minded community. The headline reads, Mother of Two Abandons Her Children while interviewing for a job 30 feet away. Some might say, how could she? What was she thinking? As we go a little deeper, underneath the surface, we hear from the mother who says, I am a college student with a promising future. I didn't have time to arrange for daycare. I would never put my children in harm's way. This is called the decriminalization of poverty. While driving through Fourth Ward uh, last week after having lunch with my mother and my partner, Joanne, we were watching, we were looking at the buildings and noticing the gentrification in Fourth Ward. And as we cross Taft Street, my mother says, did you know you were born on Taft Street? And in that moment, I realized 
that I too was on the other side of the fence, born in the hospital for the indigent and poor mothers at Jefferson Davis Hospital on uh, Allen Parkway. A social worker says, the disparate treatment is everywhere. People who live in and around the medical center can't access it. The barriers for the poor in Houston have even, they don't even get even the most basic social services. And so what's worth remembering is that we cannot look at a person and know their story until we open up our hearts and listen to the story and listen to what's beneath the surface. One in five adults live in poverty, and that's 23% of our population in Houston. Through our hope and our compassion, we welcome those who have been separated by the fences and isolated due to their social statuses. What's worth remembering is that God is with us. And so I invite you to look with your eyes and see God in every person whom you meet. Jesus said, I was naked and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. When you have done it for the you have done it for me. Hear these words from Ketrick Braggs, who gave his testimony last Sunday. I eventually joined the Gospel Ensemble in 2009, and in 2010, my husband, Brian, and I became members. Often I found that my faith was hard to find or hold on to. Through the years of fellowship at this church, my faith has grown, but still it would lapse. You see, my problem had always been how to let go and to let God when times got hard, I would turn to self-medication, which would include partying with drugs and alcohol. The hard part about that was that after everything was over, I still had issues. In October 2014, I was arrested. This led to five months in prison starting last September. Through the whole process of going to court, my church family was there the whole time fighting for me every step of the way, and by the time the decision came along that I would be incarcerated, I was prepared for whatever may happen. As I entered those barbed wire gates in Atascacita, I prayed to God that God's will would be done. I know the Bible says that all things work for good for those who love God, and I love God. In those months, I had a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with God, who sat me still with no distractions to allow me to see and know the full purpose of my life. I was able to minister to others as well as myself. When we think about borders and crossings and who's on which side of what fence, we remember some of those were taught to despise as Dr. Alexander 
called it last week. Those who've served time, those who are felons. And she called us into knowing that we are a people of forgiveness and a people who believe that it can be rolled away. God can do a new thing and can do a new thing for you. In our country, we have to have our eyes open and recognize that mass incarceration is an exquisite system that gives us the results that we have. The way that it's enforced, the way that people are picked up and arrested and prosecuted is different depending on the color of your skin. The research shows that the same amount of white people do drugs as any other people. But the results don't show that truth. Michelle says, if we want to redo this and undo the harm we've caused, we need to go back to before the war on drugs started, when our prison population was 80% less. And we need to free the prisoners, about 80% of them, to get to that place again. Are we brave enough to take that kind of risk? Persons who have been put in prison for nonviolent crimes. Persons who have been put in prison because of the color of their skin many times. Can we own that that's the truth? If we do the same thing in equal proportions, but it doesn't play out. We've developed a system that gives us exquisitely the results that it's yielding. Oh, people of God, during this series of border crossings, we've asked the Spirit to come in and take the barriers away, to open the prison doors. Spirit, come through. Oh, God, may we hear the words of Jesus that said, You fed me. You clothed me. You visited me. You saw me in prison. When I was hungry and thirsty, when you did it for the least. Whatever side of the fence you're on this day, whatever border is keeping you hemmed in, or that you're not sure you can address, take the first step. The cards you were given are I will cards. The pencils you have with you are for you to write down on that card your I will statement. It can be between you and God, and during communion, we ask you to drop it in the basket for whatever border you need to cross. It can be anonymous, or you can put a name on it, and we might get back to you. Spirit of the people of resurrection, won't you resonate with the Spirit of Christ? He's telling you, when you did it, you did it for me. May all the fences just fly away. Amen.